Reese and Reynolds are stood in a farm kitchen on Christmas Eve. This is Babe. Are we stopping the podcast then? Hmm. Good. I've got too much going on these days anyway. Pity though. What on earth are you babbling on about, Farmer Hoggett? Shame to miss out on the award for most mediocre podcasters all. Well then, let's get on with another season of Bigger Pictures with Chris Reynolds and Reese Davis and Banyer. Yes, welcome to Bigger Pictures Season 3, the only film podcast inspired by my old GCSE exams. Each week we compare and contrast two movies for 10 points. Chris, between seasons, I tried my hand at writing a new jingle based off Disney's Cinderella, one of the songs from it. It goes, uh, talk about movies two at a time, this bibbidi bobbidi boo. Put them together and what have you got? Bibbidi bobbidi boo? No, it's Venn diagrams. Uh, oh Chris, bibbidi, bibbidi what? Of course the answer's Venn diagrams. People will be wondering where we've been over the, the past, what, five <laughs> or six months? And the answer will have been not getting out enough. No, we, we've been stuck indoors. Yep. I, well, it might be the answer. I mean, of course, uh, secretly, we were actually both negotiating the Brexit trade deal and doing <laughs> a, an excellent deal on that. When I was negotiating the fish deals, you were telling me what to do because uh, I know my place. <laughs> you see, it's, 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 the, these are the zingers, listeners, that you've been missing out on over all this time. I was, I was at uh, a friend's house. Uh, when the trade deal went through. <gasps> so, yeah, it was a lady's house. So I had Brexit at Tiffany's. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for anyone who's been living in this century, you'll know that I definitely wasn't around someone's house uh, on the night of the trade deal because I wouldn't be allowed. But anyway. I, I enjoyed that. I dug that one out. Yeah, it's, um, you know... <laughs> We're doing something slightly different this uh, this year, aren't we, Reese? for this season? We are. Do you want to explain to people what that is? Well, young Peter Wilson wrote in at the end of last season to say, why don't we do an episode based on board games? And we thought this was an excellent idea, so we cancelled the series um, <laughs> and decided to get round to recording the rest of it at some point in the future. But the, the idea was that essentially we take a theme and then look at uh, two films from it and, and, and discuss them. And so, of course, we thought we'd start the very first episode by looking at animals. <laughs> From memory, the board games episode is still planned at some point, isn't it? Yes, it's coming up in the near future. But we really desperately, uh, because of all the exciting negotiations over fish that I've been leading on, uh, we were desperate to start the very first episode on animals, <laughs> which is why. <laughs> now, anyway, going back to the key thing, Reese. So I thought we could start off our, our brand new season with a quiz. Would you like that? Oh, I'd love a quiz. Okay, it's multiple choice when I've remembered to write multiple choice answers. <laughs> so question number one, what animal was the star of the 1938 film Bringing Up Baby? Was it A, a lemur, B, a llama, C, a leopard, or D, a lemming? So, I've never heard about Bring a Baby. It, it's available on iPlayer. Is it? That's that's interesting. Uh, yeah. uh, BBC.co.uk slash iPlayer. Bring it up. Uh, my internet connection is too slow to make this joke work. <laughs> so, I'm going to go with... A l mm. I've seen photos of a llama in New York. Uh, let's go with llama. You're going to go with llama. I'm um, going to go with llama. It's probably a lemur, but I'm going to go with llama. Uh, the actual answer was leopard. Was it leopard? It was neither. So this, the film... Crikey, I'm bad at this. That The film actually starred a real-life leopard. So it was a screwball comedy with Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn. Mm -hmm. And they actually had to interact with the leopard. It was a real leopard with a leopard trainer there. And initially it was allowed to roam freely around the set until it tried to attack Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> so they realised that might not be a good idea. Huh. 
Who'd have thought? At least some benefit <laughs> came out of it. Yes, it served as banter on a podcast. What more could you hope for? <laughs> Next question. Live and Let Die, James Bond for mm-hmm. 1970-whatever. Yep. Uh, James Bond jumps across which animals to make it out of the swamp? I haven't got a multiple choice for you here because I forgot to write down the rest of the animals. <laughs> And it's something you could jump over. Yep. Animals you can jump... Uh, crocodiles. I don't know. Crocodiles. That's the answer. Oh, is it crocodiles? Woo! If you get a chance, have a look online because there are the outtakes from it. They basically got a local man who offered to do it for some ridiculous amount of money and he jumps on the back of three crocodiles almost every time they get him and they are <laughs> quite scary to watch. How he survived, I do not know. He received 193 stitches as a result of these, his failed attempts. Wow. Yeah. How much money did he receive? I think it was about 60 grand. It was quite a fair bit. Next question. Mm -hmm. During the production of Batman Returns, which animals (laughs) were specially flown to the United States, had their own refrigerated trailer, and a special bodyguard? Was it A, bats, B, cats, C, penguins, or D, Christopher Walken's personal pack of coyotes? (laughs) So Batman Returns was the one with Danny DeVito as the penguin, wasn't it? It was indeed. So I'm going to guess the penguins. You're entirely correct. They were flown from Cornwall because they wanted to have special uh, trained emperor penguins. The famous Cornish emperor penguins. They were the only ones that were tame in captivity, so they had to fly them over, and there were concerns from animal rights people. Um, but the penguins got treated better than the cats. Um, <laughs> and if you go on the IMDb, one of the trivia points is that a number of the penguins came back pregnant, which proves that they must have been happy during production. <laughs> so you'd say they're the only tame penguins they could find? Tame penguins. I love the idea of feral penguins. Like, if you look at them wrong, they'll, they'll stab you. Well, I've never tried to train one. Yet. <laughs> No, well, I imagine you'd end up with more stitches than the guy trying to jump over crocodiles. (laughs) Those penguins are vicious. We've all seen Pingu. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, one last question for you. How many piglets played Babe in the film Babe? This is a topical one. Um, Was it A, A, one piglet, B, two Mm. piglets, C, 196 piglets, or D, 48 piglets. I'm going to go with D, 48. Wow. I feel like you might have been looking at the trivia for this because that is indeed the answer. (laughs) Because piglets grow up relatively quickly, they had to use a variety of piglets during the film. And at the end of production, they released them all into a forest for a planned sequel called Babes in the Wood. (laughs) Um, So on that excellent note, Reese, talking about Babe, should we talk about Jaws? (laughs) i've missed your smooth segues first of all what is the plot of jaws well for those of you who don't know um which is probably about like two people in the entire world jaws is the 1975 thriller directed by steven spielberg and written by peter benchley who wrote the original novel and carl gottlieb starring roy scheider robert shaw and richard dreyfus and the film tells the story of police chief martin brody played by scheider as he tries to protect a local town from a series of shark attacks. Brody is harangued by the local mayor, Larry Vaughan, to keep the beaches open. Working with oceanographer Matt Hooper, they discover that the shark is in fact a great white, and they agree to pay a local fisherman, played by Robert Shaw, £10,000 to catch the giant shark. There then follows the last third of the film, which is just all three men sat on a boat trying to catch this one shark. Unfortunately, the shark has been on steroids and is far bigger, hungrier and smarter than they (laughs) hoped for. Another popular podcast that we won't mention, Mm -hmm. and they make a running joke. Is Jaws about a big shark 
or is it about the three people sat on the boat? Well, neither. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think... Well, I think Jaws is a, it's, it's, it's a story about a bad hero, basically. They should have called it Brody, but that wouldn't have been so interesting, because no. Brody, what he does is, like, for five minutes into the film, he finds the body of a young woman who was eaten by a shark. And immediately he wants to close the beaches and the mayor shuts him down. There's like a series of incidents where a child dies and eventually Brody's own son almost dies. The whole time the mayor is refusing to shut the beaches and Brody just kind of goes along with it. And it's not until right at the end that the mayor's like, okay, we'll go do whatever you have to do to hunt down that shark and kill it. And Brody finally does so. You know, he's, he doesn't really take action. He, he ends up shooting the shark in like this moment of desperation at the end, but... While he's on the boat with the other two guys, he's always just in the background, moping. He should be called Broody rather than Brody. <laughs> I, I think you're being a bit harsh on him. I think he's put in a rather difficult position. Uh, but I do think you'll highlight what makes this movie work. I mean, Spielberg, I, I think when he started it, the plan was, it's a monstrous fish. Oh, isn't it scary? That's all the fish is. <laughs> of course that's not really the kind of film that he makes and he sort of accidentally made this quite interesting examination of the you know the one guy who's been forced into a corner because he he doesn't want to close the beaches you've then got the guy who's knows what's right and everything but actually he's a bit inexperienced and not as clever as he thinks he is and then the old experienced fisherman played by robert <laughs> sean who um i think it was richard dreyfus really really hated so <laughs> and you can tell that in the movie um but because it explores all those different characters, it makes it much more interesting. One, the one thing I think is worth emphasising about Jaws is this was a success entirely by mistake. And, and what I mean by that is, for those of you who don't know, there were three big mechanical Jaws sharky things uh, that they were going to use for the film, all called Bruce, based on Steven Spielberg's lawyer. <laughs> and basically, they built these things, they tested them in a tank, and they said, oh, yes, they work perfectly. So Steven Spielberg went, okay, great, to the ocean. And they were like, oh, okay, yep, to the ocean, fine, where there's salt and <laughs> storms and all these other things. Mm, that's, that's definitely going to work. And they didn't work uh, very well. So there's actually very few... There's not that many shots of the actual mechanical sharks in the film at all. And that's why you've got the barrels. It's why you've got the fin. Um, it's why you've got sort of shots where it's sort of swimming around. You're seeing that, you know, um, people from the sharks view because essentially they just couldn't use the sharks. The upside of that is that essentially you then get a lot more tension. So I think Steven Spielberg said, we went from a Ray Harryhausen movie to a Alfred Hitchcock movie entirely by mistake. And I, I think that's what makes it, very, I think, a, a really very good film that and the the relationship between all, all three characters yeah I, I think that you know given the story that is there i think that even if the shark had been working you would have had a very similar story like for me the the film is you know it's, it's the first two thirds where brody's running around amity island trying to shut down the beaches and save the people of uh, his town that he's recently moved to and then you've got the mayor who's trying to keep the beaches open who's trying to keep businesses thriving and I don't know, maybe it's just the times we're living in where that felt like it was very, very pertinent. The idea of people weighing up lives versus economic livelihood. <laughs> the, I mean, it, it's quite interesting because I think one of the things they do very well is create Amity Island. Because one of the things they do is they constantly have bits where someone's like, oh, Sheriff, someone's going to knock down all the fence posts. Or you have those kids who are dressing up as a shark to try and scare all the, the people <laughs> yeah. in the, in the beach, on the beach. Yeah. You know, and like it, it's, it's one of these things 
things where it's very well created as a whole and it, it creates a very believable sort of situation. Yeah. Well, like I would have believed it if Boris had stood out there. <laughs> Boris Johnson had come onto the beach and said, oh, you know, just, uh, wash your hands. We'll, we'll all be safe from the sharks. Uh, I went to a hospital yesterday. I shook hands with all the sharks there. Uh. The, the, shops, the shops have to stay open, even if they're in the <laughs> sea. Um, and, and it doesn't matter if it's a shark. Um, you know, go buy your Christmas presents. Um, oh, sorry. No, no, that's, that's a different time of year. Um, so, anyway, but the other thing that I think is really quite impressive about it is it isn't, I'm going to use this phrase, it isn't ham-fisted. Mm. When we get introduced to Quint and he has that amazing scraping on the blackboard scene, mm-hmm. it isn't, everyone doesn't turn around and go, oh, that's Quint, he's not a nice man, nobody likes him. They just act it. It's just, it's shown, mm-hmm. which I, I think is really, really well done. Um, also, there are so many quotable and famous bits from this film, I'd forgotten how many there were. The only problem, though, is that like, I heard quite a lot of this film was improvised. Yeah. So, like, the famous, we're going to need a bigger boat scene, mm-hmm. or line, was improvised. Yeah. The problem is, though, that they keep repeating themselves when they're improvising. So, like, if you listen, you will hear the, you're going to need a bigger boat, two or three times, when uh, whoever's playing Brody thinks, oh, yeah, this would be a really dramatic thing to say, but it's just boring and in the background. He does, yeah, he does and say like, it a few times, but he, this, the, the, the famous, you're going to need a bigger boat, um was improvised that was improvised yeah and no i get that yeah. yeah i understand that like he said something and it was really good and like people were like wow that's a great line mm. but then he said it again hoping to get the same response <laughs> and it just didn't <laughs> the spielberg actually changed the final version of the film to have to have that first improvisation have a bigger impact good because um <laughs> if you watch it there's like a there's a bigger gap this is a shark attacks and then he walks back yeah. and messes about for a bit and then oh, says, he does, it doesn't even attack, does it? Brody's chumming. He's throwing meat into the sea off the back of the boat, which is like grunt work because mm. he doesn't know what he's doing on a boat. Yeah. And while he's facing inwards to talk to Quint, the shark rises up behind him mm. and he turns back and he sees that its head is huge. Um, and that's when he staggers backwards and if, like in a daze. If I can mention one final thing boat. that relates to that, which is music. So every time the shark attacks oh, Brody, yeah. you get the... <laughs> Except in yeah. an occasion, and you don't expect it, and it's really well done. It's a total. Would you say misdirection? Is that the right right phrase? Well, no, it's 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 atmospheric, though, isn't it? And it's dramatic. Uh, John Williams' score in this is amazing. Yeah. The one thing that I noticed watching this was like compared to like a Hans Zimmer score. Hans Zimmer does um, a lot of the Nolan films, for example. Mm-hmm. Zimmer does like it feels like lots of like really dramatic, moody tones. Whereas uh, John Williams, this is it's light. And it's airy and it feels like it's full of adventure and fun. Yes, no, I, I, totally, no, no, I, I totally agree. Apart from the... Do, 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 do. Yeah, apart um, from that bit, obviously. Yeah, the, but the um, rest of it feels like it's a, a kid's film. <laughs> There's a I, bit where they've hooked the shark or like they've harpooned it and it's dragging the boat along and it, it, it sounds like it's a, a fun romp in the park. Apparently when um, he played that to Spielberg for the first time, uh, Spielberg said, that's very funny, John, but what is going to be the actual score for Jaws? And then it went on to win the <laughs> the Oscar for best musical score. So yeah, it deserves it. Well, John Williams was actually playing in the audience for the for the Oscars, so he had to leave the orchestra <laughs> bit, pick up his Oscar, and go and sit back down. Um, I'd funny. quite like to see the version done by Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman was a uh, Phantom Menace, wasn't he? And right, he did Beetlejuice as well. Okay, so but he <laughs> he did do Batman. On the subject of Danny Elfman, which has absolutely nothing to do with Babe, should we talk about yeah. Babe? <laughs> Yes, unlike Jaws, which wasn't ham-fisted, that transition was. (laughs) Go on. Yeah, it's a great time to ham it up. Let's talk about a pig.
so just to summarize the plot of Babe, Babe yeah. is the 1995 family comedy drama produced by George Miller, written by George Miller and Chris Noonan, um, with various people in the cast. The film tells the story of Babe, a piglet allowed to stay in a house by farmer Arthur Hoggett. Following some filler, Babe leaves to herd sheep. The film is 92 minutes long. <laughs> Did you not enjoy Babe? It's just something subtle in your voice that makes it sound like you're not quite as excited to talk about Babe as you were no, about Jules. I mean, what is there to say about it? Pig goes to house, pig herd sheep. That's it. That's the part. No, it's not. Um, it's about it's about whether animals have souls. Have you never looked at a sausage roll and wondered if it had a soul? Okay. And then like stuck it in the oven for half an hour and decided not yeah. anymore. It doesn't. How did Babe as a film make you feel? I, I felt hungry as a result. <laughs> well, supposedly pork sales in the US fell by twenty percent yeah. a year after Babe came out. The, the problem is it had the opposite impact on me because Mrs. Hoggett <laughs> keeps talking about all the different pork products she wants to make. So we're actually <laughs> pork on Sunday now because. <laughs> <laughs> um, because of Babe because Babe was so delicious <laughs> so you know well, where is where's the film set because like the original book was English and it looks like a very English setting some of the characters have English accents the rest of them all have like American Hollywood accents but it was filmed in Australia yeah I was quite confused because for some reason I thought the original book was Charlotte's Web but it's not it's something else because <laughs> apparently Charlotte that's another film why are people writing so many books about pigs why do you think it was Charlotte's Web well because it's about a pig yeah, but where does the web come from? What did they? Wait, I thought they don't it... even have the internet in this film. They're still using fax machines. The fax machine is central to the plot. Don't, don't, don't yeah, ruin the fax machine. <laughs> fax machine's quite key here. Sorry, spoilers for fax machines. If if I may be not harsh about it, it it's a lovely little film, and that's about it. <laughs> Okay, well, look, one thing that's really interesting about the film is that it's it's about breaking the mould. You know, it's not just about Babe wanting to be a sheep pig rather than Christmas dinner. It's also about, like, Ferdinand, the comic relief sidekick, Ferdinand the Duck, who's named after a bull but wants to be a cockerel. And then there's Rex, who is weird. He's like King Rex of the farm. He's like the lead sheepdog. He was meant to be like a, a show winner, but he almost went deaf one year trying to protect some sheep from drowning. And even though he's almost deaf... He continues to have really dramatic conversations in hushed tones. Yeah. I don't know if you picked up on that. I mean, the thing is, is all the other characters, there's quite, there's a lot of humour to it. And and one of the things that I found very amusing is this a bit where Fly, Fly is the other dog, isn't she? Yeah. She goes to the sheep to go and ask them something. Mm -hmm. And the narrator says, the dog spoke slowly because the sheep was stupid. And then he says, uh, and then when the sheep's speaking, he says, the sheep spoke slowly because the dog was ignorant. And it's like, <laughs> that's a really quite clever sort of line. Yeah. There is there is much more to it than than just pig goes to farm and then herds some sheep. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying, that the theme of the film is like all about people's expectations of each other and whether you live up to that or don't, whether you try to subvert it. And there is a sense of, uh, it's difficult it strains relationships when people can't live up to other people's expectations or when people want to outdo each other's expectations. You can be there what is you like, like this is, weight. is the, the sort of message of the theme, the film, isn't it, really? If I may turn to one sort of difference to Jaws, that's quite key, I think. Mm -hmm. and, and that is that in Jaws, they had a shark that didn't work and the film works because the shark isn't in it very much, I think. Mm. In this, the film works because... It looks realistically like the animals genuinely are talking. Mm. The humans, not the, the dubbing of the humans, is awful. Uh, I think <laughs> I think the dubbing of the animals is amazing. Uh, and well, apparently they worked with the um, the Jim Henson Creature Company to create you, animatronics. You read the same. You read the same bit of subtitles that I did. <laughs> 
I didn't notice too many scenes with puppets though. Mm. I think the, the very one of the very first shots of Babe was a puppet, and I think there's a shot of the dog where it's a puppet. But apart from that, I didn't notice much at all. Um, I know it's they the fed- scenes where they're further back is uh, when they use puppets when there's nowhere for like the handlers to hide. Uh, the, oh, the the duck was a puppet as well, wasn't he? There was there was a scene in particular where it was like, oh yes, we're going to walk into this dark room now so we can get away with doing some puppets, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was a bit of a cheat, but it, it does look spectacular. Mm. But why is the dubbing of the humans so bad? Was it deliberate to try and make the dubbing of the animals look good? What makes you think the humans were dubbed? Because the sound doesn't match up with the math movements. The human scenes were weird in, in general. Uh, the, the, yeah. the close-ups are too close up on the humans. And I guess that was probably like a creative choice, but it still looks weird. That, that's what drew my eye. In terms of creative choices, I think the key thing we're forgetting to mention at the moment, although I, I sort of hinted at it at the start, is that this film was, it's very complicated. It was directed by a chap called Chris Noon and was produced by George Miller. And they, between them, wrote the screenplay and then fell out during making this film. George Miller is famous for another film. Do you want to mention what films they are? Happy Feet. He's very famous for Happy Feet, which makes sense. You know, two kids' films. I understand why he's connected to them both. Also Mad Max. Yeah. Which is uh, <laughs> out of the left field. Oh, hang on. It makes sense that George Miller wrote Babe and Mad Max, because they're both set in these dystopian societies, which are <laughs> intent on, you know, using just uh, the, the body of the protagonist as uh, meat for the grinder. <laughs> also, the, as you mentioned earlier on, it's totally unclear where this is set, because the, the, the vernacular building that they live in is a crock frame building, which tend to be found in the north of England. And I, I don't think you find them in Australia, Hollywood, anywhere. So, you know, um, I spent the whole build film at that building. So I've got no idea where it is, and it's my job to know. So, um, you know, uh, George Miller, if you're listening, I imagine he probably is, um, do some more research, mate. Uh, don't don't take it out on on George Miller. You know he just wrote the thing. It's uh, Chris Noonan's fault. Oh, Chris Noonan. Yeah, well, he didn't like him, did he? So yeah, that's fine. Don't put crop yeah. buildings in the middle of Australia because they stopped <laughs> using them in the you know fifteenth century in in England. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's a disgrace, really. Um, so speaking of disgraces, yes. um, what do you think a crossover of these films would look like? Lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I think that either so the one option for me is that you've got. A petting zoo with a pig that's too big, right? And they're planning to eat it for dinner, and the pig's like, it's out of control, they can't stop it, it's it's eating children, I don't know, and then someone sees the pig and says, oh my god, it's massive, you're going to need a bigger plate. <laughs> like, that's option one. Or option two is that an English farm owner wins a shark at the village fair, takes him home to raise him up, and then, you know, eat him on Fridays, because he's a good Catholic. <laughs> and either the shark eats all the sheep that he's supposed to be herding, or... Right, this is the happy ending. He herds the sheep, but also shears them at the same time because of his razor sharp teeth. What do you think? So, are you suggesting that they're essentially putting the sheep into the tank with the shark, <laughs> or that because Farmer Hoggett's an inventor, so he might have invented a sort of mobile sharking tank? I think the shark would be on wheels. Take the wheels off the cart that the horse is pulling along. Stick him on the shark. Bosh, land shark. Like a Mad Max type scenario. <laughs> exactly, um, very George Miller. So Babe was famously voiced by um, the person who voiced Chucky Finster from Rugrats and Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory. <laughs> who would <laughs> voice the shark in the shark version of Babe? I'm going with Danny DeVito. Oh, interesting. I was going to say Will Smith. Yeah, he he was in Shark Tale. He was. Um, he'd be very cool. Yeah, he'd be a cool shark. Dan, Danny DeVito's voice would turn the shark into this sort of like troll monster. <laughs> 
<laughs> which would probably be very funny, but yes, a slightly more horrific version of uh, Babe the, the Shark Pig. I mean, I put Christopher Walken in everything, um, and the sheep would definitely do what he said. No. It's like, ah, oh, I find I find sheep very threatening. I put googly eyes on all my sheep. It'd be a shame if he didn't win the prize at the fair. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Hoggett would just live in fear. You know the bit when she goes off to like some sort of some hotel somewhere at the end of the film? <laughs> I could just see Walken staring out as the bus leaves just with a gun or something. <laughs> No, you want to leave? You can go. Just stands there. Um, so you know how Jaws is possibly not a film about shock, but about the characters and everything. Mm. Do you think that Babe is a film not about a pig, but about how all the other characters interact? Uh, no, I think it definitely <laughs> is about them. I, I think you know it's it's like it's it's a microcosm. I think that. Well, what Babe goes through is basically like trying to, to rise the economic ladder. He starts out right at the bottom where he's born destined to feed a family of whatever. He's, he's born to be dinner. And then like he's trying to earn his keep so that he's not just churned out by this machine as just another meat product. He wants to do something else with his life. Yeah. And, you know, you get the same impression from Farmer Hoggett because the only reason he uses Babe as a sheep pig is that he is desperate to uh, remain relevant and solvent. His, uh, his farm is failing. The fact that Rex is has gone deaf means that he didn't win the sheepdog prize. He's selling puppies, flies and Rex's puppies, and his sheep are getting rustled by ru- rustlers, I guess. Like <laughs> sheep thieves. I'm sorry, I was thinking of the, 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 the poor quality burger type things that you see in like the co-op and stuff. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like Farmer Hoggett, he's not doing well as a farmer. No. Presumably, if he was just more with it, he could just go about his business and not rely on a, a pig to do his sheepdog work for him. Do you think in terms of the creative process, that Jaws is more successful than Babe. And I'll give you my answer first to explain what I mean by it. Because, <laughs> and, but, hang on, you're, you're being mean here. Um, Jaws was a film that set out to be a shark movie with a terrifying shark and everyone would look at the shark and go, how scary, and it turned into something different because the shark didn't work. Mm. Babe did not turn out to be a terrifying shark movie, but was was planned. <laughs> well, not yet. Not yet. I, I still want the Babe uh, 3, Babe versus Shark. <laughs> Babe was planned as a film about a talking pig that allows all the animals to be what they want to be and all that sort of stuff. And then it herds some sheep. And that is the film that was made. And that film specifically worked. Whereas Spielberg's film never happened and he made something else that worked. So I would say Babe is a more successful film as part of the creative process. Would you agree? Well, I, I focus on the finished product. I think that Jaws is a more successful film. I don't really care how the sausage was made. Okay. I, I much prefer Jaws. I think Babe is a great film and I enjoy it for what it is. But Jaws has uh, a complexity and a depth that Babe doesn't have. Babe has so much crammed into it. It didn't feel like they were so, as uh, successful at streamlining the novel. There are lots of loose threads, lots of like story arcs that kind of, they, they're all jumbled up. Jaws is clean, it's lean, and it has all these wonderful character moments. So I enjoy Jaws so much more for that. On which note, Reese? I think this is bringing us toward the end of the episode. Uh, it's been fun being back. It's, it's been, it's, I was pleased that we did this one first. We should do this again, yeah? We should, uh, we should do another one of these sometime. Why don't we do we an episode based on airplanes and we look at, I don't know, or at, at a guess, Con Air and Snakes on a Plane. Oh, that, that's, a, that's a great idea. It's almost like you looked at the plan. 
yeah, end of time. We've, uh, you know, that that'll be good because we can carry on the animal thing, just planes, Nicholas Cage, you like him, and <laughs> I can talk about Samuel L. Jackson. So it'd be fine, you know, yeah. and Steve Buscemi. Who doesn't love Buscemi? Who doesn't love Buscemi? So that's what we've got coming up. Reese, was there anything else you wanted to mention about fashionable clothing, for example? We, we've hit a number of downloads, which I'm quite proud of. We have a reasonable listenership. And I was thinking to kind of show up my, my thanks. If anyone would be interested in like a T-shirt for the podcast, just let us know. Uh, we'd get a designer and uh, yeah, just kind of sort out distribution somehow. Um, I'll hand make them myself. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm going to turn your living room into a sweatshop. Yeah, I've got too much got my work stuff here at the moment. Yeah, it'd be fine. Um, so... Nick faster! Nick faster! <laughs> Sorry, just just telling the people to get on with it. So anyway, there we are. Reese, it's been lovely hearing from you, and I look forward to hearing from you next week. <laughs> Same here. Bye. How, hang on, Chris. Before we go, how can people get in touch? Oh, God, that's quite important. So if you do want to get in touch with Bigger Pictures, you can either get in touch with us on Twitter at ReeseDS or at History Reynolds, or you can get in touch on inst- Instagram instagram or medium.com i'm on both also as reese ds that yes and we'd love to hear from you recommend films tell us what you want us to do and we will always certainly cancel the series and then wait six months before we do it again (laughs) (laughs) but not intentionally (laughs) keep safe (laughs) bye see ya oh i'm sweating i'm sweating like a shark chris